0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Uh, Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us. As Dave mentioned just a moment ago, today is the 13th, say that the 13th, and final installment of the Rise and Build series, and as well done as that introduction bumper was, that video bumper, you won't have to see that one again. Uh, we've watched it for 13 times and again. It's been great, but that's past. And uh, this is going to be our last installment. Are you ready for it? All right. Some of you are, so that's great. I'm excited, too. As announced early on, Uh, the Rise and Build series was never intended to be an expository, verse-by-verse study. I did, however, tell you that by the time we reach the end of the series, you should have a pretty good idea of how this played into Israel's history. And I think one of the reasons why Uh, This particular series has been so meaningful to me, and I, for one, am sorry to see it come to an end. I I think one of the reasons why it was so significant, so meaningful, is because, in a way, it kind of mirrors what we've done over the past 31 years. Uh, Just 25 years ago, in 1998, there was nothing here except for vacant land and a couple of run-down homes... One of them didn't even have running water. And after seven years of being a portable church, seven years of renting facilities and meeting in those facilities, setting up and tearing down every single Sunday, we entered into the building phase of our church. And we built not just one building, but two back-to-back, including this absolutely gorgeous $6 million phase two sanctuary. And at that time, what we experienced was pretty much the same thing Ezra and Nehemiah encountered uh, during their project. It was wave after wave of opposition. And the trouble came from every direction possible. But just like the Lord did in the Old Testament, what we've been reading uh, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, just like God was faithful to them, God also sustained us. Time and time again, he proved to us that he was Jehovah Jireh, our provider, our defender, the one who would protect us. And so having a chance to read uh, through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and hear about all of what they uh, not only encountered, but what they were able to accomplish, it just blesses me when I think back over the history of our church. And when I give you that little backstory synopsis, please don't misinterpret my intentions. We are not, for a moment, claiming or taking any of the credit for the great things God has done. We're simply basking in His amazing grace and calling to mind His desire to manifest His presence among us. Uh, Don't ever forget, to God, and I mean this very sincerely, to God be all the glory. All right, as you saw on the screen uh, right before the start of church, uh, today we're going to gather around the communion table and receive the bread and the cup. And I know what some of you are thinking. You probably maybe even whispered this to somebody next to you. It's not the first Sunday of the month. And we didn't get the calendar messed up. We know that. We know it's the last Sunday of the month. But there is a specific reason why I wanted to share communion today And I hope by the end of the service or prior to the communion time, it'll be clear to you just how vital it is for us to do that this morning. Now, in the way of review, and for the benefit of those who may have missed a prior lesson, and I don't have time to go through it in detail, but I kind of just want to go through the series real quickly. In 586 B.C., A man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, he marched on Jerusalem, he attacked the holy city, and if you can believe this, he destroyed Solomon's billion dollar temple and he burned it to the ground. And when that happened, when Nebuchadnezzar demolished Jerusalem, the people of God were in shock. They could not believe that God would allow that to happen to his covenant people, his special people. And they were absolutely right, because that tragedy of what Nebuchadnezzar did to the people of God, it could have been averted. The people could have responded to the heeding of the Lord, the word that he had given to them over the years, but they refused to do that. They turned their backs on God and hardened their hearts. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 29 and 30. You, God, warned them, your people, to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate. They disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations, by which people will find life if only they obey. Here, the word tells us, if we would just obey the instruction of the Lord, if we would do what he asked us to do, we would find life and all that. But they stubbornly turned their backs on you. They refused to listen And in your wrath and anger, right, in your love, because of your unconditional love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the people of the land to conquer them. So after years and years of love and patience, God crying out through countless prophet uh, warnings, prophetic warnings... He had had enough and he lifted his protective covering, his blanket of protection from off of his people that opened the door for Nebuchadnezzar to come in and carry away his people into captivity, dragged everyone out to Babylon where they remained in bondage 70 years. It's a long time. It's a lifetime. 70 years in captivity. And following the 70 years, again, in accordance with God's word, it's always God's word. Another king by the name of Cyrus, king of Persia, he woke up one morning and out of the blue, he decides to set God's people free. He tells them they can return to their homeland. And when they uh, went back to Jerusalem, they found that the city of Jerusalem was in shambles. I'm talking about a total disaster. And keep in mind at the captivity... Only the poor and uneducated people were allowed to remain in the land. Everyone else was deported to Babylon. And so when this group of exiles returned, they had their work cut out for them because the city of Jerusalem was an utter mess. Piles of rubble, broken concrete, charred fragments of the gates that had been burned. They were spread all over the place. It all had to be cleaned up. The homes and the neighborhoods and the businesses that were owned by the children of Israel, uh, they had been ransacked by the neighboring bullies. And they had to be rebuilt and repaired. And as a result, for a while, life in Jerusalem wasn't very promising. It was disorganized and chaotic at best. And the people of God were struggling so much That in the early verses of the book of Nehemiah, we're told that the people living in Jerusalem were living in fear and in disgrace. That's how life was in Jerusalem for a while. But as we've learned over the past 12 weeks, with message after message, and going into the verse of Scripture, and all the work that our teaching team has done, we learned that through the leadership or under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, the people fought back. And they were determined to put their city back on the map. And they came together and they rallied together as a community, a great community of people. And they rebuilt the temple, they restored the worship, rebuilt the altar. Brought the priesthood back together again, and they repaired the city wall and mended all of the gates. Additionally, the people implemented social and religious reforms. And they confessed their sins and they got their act together. And they turned to the Lord with all of their hearts. And together they renewed the old covenant that God had made with them. When he first told Abraham that it was an everlasting covenant. They all came together and Nehemiah along with all of the elders and all of the leaders of God's people they entered into a formal agreement together and they all set forth a binding declaration. All of the people were in on it. They all came together. They all said we're going to do this. And here's what they proclaimed. Here's what they said. It's in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. I'm going to say that again. After everything that the people have been through, everything that I just went through, the devastation, the rebuilding, the restoration, the priesthood back in in form and, and doing all the things that God had asked them to do, they went through that whole process and they came out on the other side making a covenant with one another, we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, how many of you know it's one thing to build a property? You can build a house, you can build a church, you can build a building. It's altogether different to maintain it, to support it, to sustain it, to keep it going. The people of God came together after everything that they've been through. And the proclamation, the binding declaration that they made together, we are not going to neglect the house of God. We will not neglect the house of God is a statement that conveys a promise ensuring a particular task or responsibility will receive proper care and attention. We will not neglect the house of God indicates a personal commitment to fulfilling the duties associated with the house and not allowing the work to be ignored or overlooked. You see, going forward, after all the building, all the restoration, all the opposition, everything that the people of God encountered, they all came together, they all affirmed, we're going to take care of God's house. We are going to meet the needs of God's temple. And all of this, all of what the people promised to do, is spelled out in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 37. Let's look at it together. Here's what the people said We're not going to neglect the house of God because this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna bring to the storerooms of the house of our God and to the priest, the first of all of our ground meal, the first of all of our grain offerings. We're gonna bring the fruit of all of our trees. We're gonna bring our new wine. We're gonna bring the olive oil. We're gonna bring a tithe of all of our crops of Levites for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. Some of you will recall, some of you won't want to. But three weeks ago in lesson number 10, I talked about the tithe. Remember that? And by that I mean believers bringing to the Lord or to the house of God, the the local church, one-tenth or 10% of their income. And on that occasion when I talked to you about the tithe, I said, the tithe is really the only way any local church can survive. And I firmly believe it's God's method for sustaining the gospel message for promoting the message of the gospel. I also told you on that occasion that as a church, we were a little bit behind in our giving. And it's only the second time in our 31 year history that I had to mention something like that to you. And then after after I told you, after I informed you of how we were doing financially, I gently, emphasis on the word gently, asked you to take a look at your giving and see how you're doing. And when I was talking about that, I tried to communicate to you that I am well aware of the economy that we're living in right now and how difficult it is. I know how high the cost of living is today, what it takes to fill up your car with gas and put food on your table. I'm well aware of that, because I've got a car too. And I know for whatever reason, I don't want to get into the whys this morning, but for whatever reason, there are many people who are experiencing hardship today, financial hardship. And the last thing I want you to do when we read verses of scripture like this, or when we talk about the importance of tithing, the last thing I want you to do is allow the enemy to bring any guilt or condemnation to you. The scripture plainly says, and I have repeated this verse to you countless times, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And if you're struggling financially, I mean, if you want to tithe and you, you, you would love to give, but you just can't because you're not in a position, I'm going to ask you to get some guidance or get prayer. Because God is not a legalistic God. He understands what you're going through. But the ultimate goal for us is the tithe. And why? Because it's holy and it belongs to God. And the Scripture confirms to us over and over again there is a tremendous amount of blessing that comes from God when we're obedient to the tithe, when we're willing to promote the gospel message through the local church. Now, apart from the tithe, put that aside, even though it's mentioned in this, this passage here in Nehemiah 10.37, put that aside for a minute. Why is this verse that we just read so important? Why, as we bring this whole project of Ezra Nehemiah together do we focus in on this one passage where the people said this is what we're going to do we're not going to neglect the house of God we're going to provide certain things for that why is this so important because everything that the people promised to bring was necessary to keep the temple up and running it wasn't just so the priests could eat or put clothes on, on their children. You know, get them a nice pair of Nikes. It, that was not the reason why, only the reason why, the people would bring to the Lord all the things that they covenant to bring. The people were committed to not neglecting the house of God. Now I have a slide for you that I want to show you of the holy place. And I have left my pointer here. Pardon me. remember with me in the temple, and again, when when everybody went back, when the exiles went back to Jerusalem, what did they do? They rebuilt the temple. And in the temple, there was what's called the holy place. Do you remember that? All right. So in the holy place, this is where the priests hung hung out. There were three pieces of furniture, three stations. Yeah, not going to work now. (laughs) So I ran back and got it. Okay, we're not going to need it. (laughs) Information. To my right, table of showbread. Do you see it? To my left, golden candlestick, golden lampstand. Right in the middle, the altar of incense. Three pieces of furniture in the holy place that the priest ministered before the Lord. So when the people gathered together for church, just like we're doing, instead of there being a speaker, they would get up in front of them some songs, and this, the priests would go into the holy place, and they would begin the service. And they'd stop by at each one of those three stations, and they would do their work. They were all very symbolic, very significant. So at the table of showbread, the priests were required to make 12 loaves of bread every day. How I many you know, it takes ingredients to make bread. The priests didn't just snap their fingers and all of a sudden there was flour. The people said, we're going to bring the flour. We're going to bring the grain. We're going to bring everything that the priests need to take care of the table of show bread. At the golden lamp stand there, the, the requirement that God gave to the priests, and there was a reason why, is that the lamp was to be burning day and night. The light that the priests needed in the room came from that golden lampstand. Do you know what it took to keep the lamps burning? Oil. Do you remember what the people said they would bring? Their oil. The people said the priests need oil to take care of the house of God. We're going to bring all of the oil necessary for them. Then we have the altar of incense. And God said, I want the fire burning on the altar of incense 24-7. It's never supposed to go out. They needed wood. They needed incense. They needed perfume. So the people said, you know what? We're going to bring all of that and put it in a storehouse so whenever the priests are running low on wood or whenever they need more incense, they'll have everything that they need. You see, if any of these three areas or these three stations in the holy place were neglected, then the priests could not fulfill or satisfy, satisfy the requirements of the law. They wouldn't be able to do that. And because of the people's commitment to not neglect God's house and to maintain it and to furnish it, they said, you know what? We're gonna bring all of that to the Levites. Now, this past week, when I was putting this all together, When I had my assigned verses that I had to cover for today, and and keep in mind that all of the speakers, Pastor Chris and Joy and Pastor Tyler, everyone who spoke during this series, they had assigned verses. They weren't just able to go in and pick out a few. We we gave assigned verses so we get through the whole uh, couple of books and we get through the series. Everybody had verses and everyone did an exceptional job of articulating those particular passages. They really did. So I know that I have to bring the series to a close and we wanted to kind of button everything up. I wanted it to be, you know, impactful and at the same time reading these verses I wanted to challenge us together as a church to do our part and to not neglect the house of God, the temple of the Lord. So I'm thinking, praying, how am I going to do that? And that's when the Spirit of the Lord dropped a verse of scripture in my heart. And at first when... I read it. I mean, he, he sent me over to a place in the Scripture. When I read it, I, I thought, you know what? It's a mistake. That, that's for a different message. But as I began to wait upon the Lord, the Lord made it clear to me why he gave me this verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And some of you will recall and recognize that Joy shared this passage Scripture last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price, not just a price, it was a very high price, costly price, so you must honor God with your body. Here the apostle Paul, he refers to our body, our physical, emotional, and spiritual makeup as the temple of the Lord or the house of God. Do you see that? let's look at it again so the rest of you can see it. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It couldn't be any clearer than that. And so serving the needs of the church today, meeting all of the different aspects of ministry that we have today, It's no more important than taking care of this temple, your personal house of God. You see the connection? When the people came together and they covenanted and said, we're not going to neglect the house of God, they were talking about the temple. Paul said, do that, but don't forget about this. We will not neglect this temple, our spiritual temple, our soul's and I think there's a lot of that going on these days. I think uh, that people are a lot more health conscious than they've ever been before. We're trying to eat right. We're trying to eat clean. Not all the time, but most of the time. More and more people are talking about exercise, at least in my world. They're talking about staying in shape, playing a little pickleball, you know, keeping the physical body fit. And then these days, more and more people, I mean, a a lot of people, especially the younger generation, they're just as concerned about mental health as they are physical fitness. And I'm amazed how many people today have a personal therapist, a coach, and a counselor to help them navigate through the rough waters of life. And thank God for these people, these professionals, gifted professionals that can help us with the many areas of wellness that we're facing. But what about the spirit man? What about our temple? What are we doing on a daily basis to enhance and intensify an intimate and viable relationship with our God? And friends, we've been talking to you about this for 12 weeks. This is as needful a message, an activity that we need to do on an individual basis than anything else you have in your world going on right now. This is vital. Our spiritual souls need daily attention. Not weekly, not monthly, not a couple times during the year. Daily. And these days, if I'm not giving attention to my soul and to my temple. I mean, if I go a day or two without actively involving myself in things that I know I have to do, something happens. The whispers that I hear from the enemy, and make no mistake, he's whispering nonstop. But those whispers, they get louder. And then they get believable. And I wish I could communicate to you how many people, good Christian people, are believing lies today. And so what we have to do is put on the full armor of God each and every day and in so doing, resist the devil, cut him off at the pass and build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Making sure that our souls are not neglected, but they're fully attended to. Now, how do we do that? How do we ensure that our personal house of God gets the attention that it needs. Well, in a spiritual sense, we have to do the same thing, exactly the same thing as the Old Testament priests. Somebody saying, what? We have to commit to taking care of our temple and our spiritual house the same way the Old Testament priests were committed to it. And let's not forget who we are. 1 Peter 2.9 You Who's the you here? You are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession, not just a priesthood, a royal priesthood, not just a nation, a holy nation, not just a possession, a special possession. The book of Revelation affirms this truth by saying in Revelation 1.6, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made us, the New Testament church, a kingdom of priests. the difference between us, the New Testament priesthood and the Old Testament priesthood is we're no longer confined to just the holy place. And keep in mind that everything that God gives to us in the Old Testament even though we're not under the old law don't confuse that, we're not under the old law at all. But everything that God has given to us in his word is for a reason, it's symbolic, it has great significance. Remember with me uh, Brian can we go back to that yes I'm going to see if I get this working and I can't Chris broke it when he used it <laughs> he, he knew it was coming I didn't see it the first time but it was just it was in me I'm sorry dude. I, I know you on the other side of the table of, uh, of the altar of incense do you see what that is right there with the angels on it What was that that's the veil right the curtain okay so the the priests they would operate they would minister in the holy place on the other side of the room was the holy of holies they were not allowed to go into that room only the high priest one time a year what was in the holy uh, of holies it was the ark of the covenant represented the presence of god the bible tells us that the minute jesus died what happened The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which means we can now walk into the full presence of God. These two rooms became one room. All right, so when God sent a contractor to take the curtain out of the way, he didn't call for two men in a truck. He didn't say, get the furniture out of there. It's still there. Let that sink in for a little bit. When we walk into the presence of God from a spiritual sense, from a a spiritual viewpoint, not only is there the Ark of the Covenant which represents his presence, there's also these three pieces of furniture. They haven't gone anywhere. And when you swing by at the table of showbread, that represents God's provision. He is a God who knows exactly what we need. In fact, the scripture says that he has knowledge of our needs before we even ask. And so when we walk by the table of showbread, when the priests were ministering there, it reminded them of God's greatness and how they have to accept sometimes by faith how good God is. And friend, faith in God, having faith in our God is still a valuable part of our priestly duties. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is what separated Abraham from everyone else. Do you remember what Abraham said when he was faced with trouble? God will provide. That's what the table showbread's all about. Provision. King David, the king who had a heart like God's, what separated him from all the other kings is because the average king said, I think and I hope God will provide for me. You know what David said? I know he will. As priests today, we have to see God as able, able to meet all of our needs, able to do the impossible. Our faith level has to be built up as high as it possibly can. Then, in addition to the table of showbread, there's the golden lampstand. And the lampstand, when it was fully lit, allowed the priests to see more clearly in the room. It enabled them to do their job. In John chapter 8, in verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Make no mistake, I am the true light. But then he went back to be with the Father. Remember that? After he died, was buried, and rose from the dead, he went back to be with the Father. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, he said, now you're the light of the world. He calls the church salt and light. Doesn't mean we have to produce or create our own light. The moon doesn't have any light in and of itself. It has no power to shine a light. What does it do? It reflects the brilliance of the sun in the same way we are called as the church to reflect the light of God, the light of the gospel. And the only way we can do that is by having full anointed vessels from the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. Then finally, in addition to both the table of showbread and the golden lampstand, there was the altar of incense. And at the altar, the priests would stand and make sacrifice before the Lord. They would burn incense. They would offer prayers. They would bring praise to God. The altar represents sacrifice, my friend. And somewhere along the line, we confuse this with provision. We've been told, come to the altar and get something from God. Come to the altar. Give something to God. Get something from God. The provision happens at the table of showbread. The altar is a place where you lay stuff down. It's a place of sacrifice. It's where you hash things out with God. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for who? For you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Prayer. Thanks. In all circumstances. Do you know how difficult that is to do? Especially today? To walk around with a smile on your face, to have joy, to always be thankful, always be prayerful? It's not easy to do that. Because those attributes, those elements, and characteristics, they're found and they're forged at the altar. And that was the importance of that piece of furniture. You see, everything's still in place. Not there anymore. We don't have it set up here. It's in the heart. But there's significance of why God calls us to that place. Of not neglecting this temple. Let's bow our heads and begin to prepare our hearts for communion. I'm going to ask you to give me just a couple of more minutes. Those of you who are at home, please... Try to minimize the distractions. As we close out this Rise and Build series and bring it to an end, after 13 Sundays of reviewing this material, I'm going to ask you to do a little soul searching this morning. Please, just take a couple of moments, just you and God. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want anybody to respond to what I'm saying here at this point. This is strictly between you and God. I'm wondering how many of you would be transparent enough, transparent with yourself and with your God, to say that in some way you have neglected the house of God. And now I'm not talking about the local church. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about giving, serving, tithing, none of that. I'm talking about your own House, your own temple. And I know many of you are in a really good place spiritually right now. You've been seeking the Lord. Some of you have been reading through the scripture, reading through the Bible. You're on fire for God. Uh, ever since the first year when we talked about one thing, you've made God your one thing. You're devoted to him. I understand that. But for some others, spiritually speaking, if you've slipped it all, and you're not in the place or in the relationship with God that you know you should be, would you be willing today to try to right this ship? See, that's precisely what Nehemiah and Ezra did. They led the nation of Israel in a covenant renewal, got through the whole process, came out of captivity, we built the temple, reestablished the ordinance of God, repaired the wall, fixed the gates, and then they made a renewed covenant with God. That's why I wanted to share communion with everyone today, because there's no greater covenant that we have as believers. The spiritual covenant that God made with us through his son Jesus Christ. Where he once again reminded us how much he loves us how much he cares for us the scripture says it was on the night jesus was betrayed that he took bread and after giving thanks he broke the bread gave it to his disciples and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and then after supper it ended he took the cup Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death. You publish widely the Lord's death. And as we take just a couple of moments here this morning before we close out our service in song. And we contemplate everything that Jesus did for us on the cross, his great sacrifice, the high cost that he paid for our redemption, everything that he went through. What would a small step toward God represent for you? What would that look like for you this morning? After everything that we've talked about since the first of June, Week after week, challenging you, encouraging you to rise and build, to be that voice in the world today. To stand up and say, I'm going to build the kingdom of God. I'm going to make that a top priority in my life. God's going to be my one thing. Today, right now, not next week or next month, what would a small step toward God look like for you? Some of you need to pass by and spend a little time at the table of showbread. You're going to see there 10 loaves of bread. You're going to smell it too because they had to make it every day. It represents God's commitment to you. He cares about you. He'll provide for you. He wants you to know he loves you. And he's well aware of the needs that you're facing. Those needs that you have mentioned to him on numerous occasions. He wants you to have the faith to know and to believe that he's capable of all things. Maybe some of you have that truth and so you could go right by the table of showbread and make your way to the lampstand. And I mean stand in front of it and let the light of the gospel consume you. Understanding that our world needs the light that can only come from the church, can't come from any other source. And I know how difficult that is today because we live in a dark world, it's evil, it's corrupt. We're learning more and more how corrupt the world can be. But now is our time, now is our hour in our day as a church to shine like stars in the universe. You can't do that on your own. And no one's asking you to create the light. You just need to get close to the lampstand. You need to get close to the true light, Jesus. Because all of these pieces of furniture, they all represent Jesus. Every one of them. And maybe... Finally, for some of you, you need to go directly to the altar, and you need to hang out there for a little bit. Maybe even drop to your knees and confess some sins, lay something down, give something up, ask for the grace to break an addiction, get past a a failure, overcome some difficulty in your life, get rid of the guilt and the shame the resentment, the anger, the bitterness that you might have in your heart towards somebody. Get that out of your system. It happens at the altar of incense as you cry out to God. Father, individually and as a church, we want to take a step towards you. It's the only reason why we would invest 13 Sundays into a single series. It's so that when we get to the end, though, we can look back and say, okay, This is what we learned. This is where you were directing us. This is the guidance that you gave. Now, Lord, it's our turn. It's our time to make a decision. And Lord, we're going to covenant together. We're not going to neglect the house of God. We're not. We're going to do the necessary things, Lord, to maintain the house, to feed our spirit, man, to make sure we know who we are and who you are. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for sending Jesus to die that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray that you would elevate us not just to live, but to live life to the fullest, an abundant life that you provide for us because you are a great providing God. You're Jehovah Jireh. Minister, Lord, as only you can in these few moments, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup together.